Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm sorry, but I've got to give this movie an F, just off the bat. I didn't recognize any of the songs on the soundtrack. Two thumbs way, way down. Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm Ian and Alex. <laughs> and I'm Britton. I think I recognized one of them. Ooh, maybe two. Anyway. Um, I recognize hey guys. all of them because I had seen the movie before. Oh, uh, you kept going. Oh, that's from the that's from the Suicide <laughs> that's Squad. The song they used in the Suicide Squad, huh? Yeah, I think that huh. was from the Suicide Squad. Weird. What, literally every uh, Wiki, Wikipedia entry for for every single song is this song was first featured in the Suicide I, Squad. I wasn't gonna bring this up, but I I'm glad you mentioned that because now that you've reminded me, I'm going to. Um, the Suicide Squad score has its own Wikipedia page, and I really hope it hasn't been changed because the the writing for this is like. Let me let me find it. Let me find the thing that I was reading, and I was like, "Oh my goodness." Uh, the. Okay, so for the soundtrack, Gunn personally chose the songs that he would be introducing. Gunn picked up first was "Folsom Prison Blues" by Johnny Cash as the first one. He also revealed that he also planned to use other songs, but decided that they would not be used. He created a Spotify playlist containing several songs he almost used in the film and named it Not in the Suicide Squad playlist. Shortly prior to the film's release, Gunn revealed that he used the songs that better fit in a scene by commenting, I write all of the songs into the screenplay, and then those songs we play on set as we do the scenes. This is the most book report Wikipedia article I've ever found. Go look it up, the Suicide Squad soundtrack Wikipedia article. That's awesome. I was gonna say we we have found reviews from from uh, audience <laughs> members not not of this podcast but of, of whatever movie it was uh, on Rotten Tomatoes where it feels like an eighth grader mm-hmm. writing a book report mm-hmm. and just trying to extend it as long as humanly possible. What I liked about X Men Apocalypse is the X Men. The X Men are very good. The X Men. The X Men are based on a comic book <laughs> called the X Men. <laughs> They have a lot of different powers. One can read minds. Too funny. Also, there is a character named Jean Grey. The X stands for different things, depending on what you think the X stands for. My mom thinks it's a chromosome. I don't think she gets it. <laughs> um, we're not talking about the X. We're off week. to a great we, start. Well, I mean, of a sort. Who came first? Am I right? We're talking about the Suicide Squad. <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah, we're playing catch up. Uh, we're we're actually getting down to uh, the rest of the movies that came out in 2021 um, as a break between franchises. Uh, so yeah, we're starting with the Suicide Squad, which, uh, as I already said, came out in 2021, uh, directed by James Gunn, and has a 90% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And an eighty-two percent audience score. Mm, a couple of Marvel zombies got in the got in the mainframe, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really sticking it to the man there. Yeah, it's a good movie. Hey, do you guys think the hyperlinks in the reviews for this were just crazy? Because they kept having to reference Suicide Squad. Not the Suicide Squad. You know. I already don't like the only thing I don't like about talking about this movie is that I keep having to go the mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. 
because you know me, I love abbreviation. I'm always hacking and slashing my way through uh, titles of things. Mm-hmm. Love talking about Gump or Tight, which is what I call Titanic. <laughs> Britain, you're setting yourself up for so many jokes about the dark, gritty reboot that happens like 15 years down the line. <laughs> when, it's, when it's just called Susk. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I don't want to see Zack Snyder's Gump, but... <laughs> it's just it's just set in vietnam there's nothing else (laughs) (laughs) only vietnam mom always told me life was like a box of chocolates one of them was bound to be poisoned forrest gump is played by john cena um (laughs) (laughs) run forrest run straight to hell We what is, worst and best things about the movie? You think maybe? <laughs> Tyler, you seem to be struggling a little bit with your sentences. Fortunately, <laughs> uh, I've got a few sentences here that will tell people what the movie's about. Um, but since none of us know how to talk, <laughs> let me get, let me get my uh, famously articulate roommate <laughs> to come in here and and help us out. Mark, why don't you get on over here? Hey, hey, Mark, what you been up to? Oh, just trolling Tef forums. What are you guys doing? The, uh, the the pot the podcast, which we do every week. Oh, right. Sorry. So, how can I help? <laughs> You're making me think about a lot of things right now, Mark. Um, why uh, here? Just read the synopsis. Let, let, hey, no frills, no frills this time, guys. Come on, let's just let's just brass tacks. Let's do this. The government sends the most dangerous supervillains in the world, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, Harley Quinn, and others, to the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Armed with high-tech weapons, they trek through the dangerous jungle on a search-and-destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flagg on the ground to make them behave. Does that mean they can fly? There's a lot about this synopsis that's not wrong, but is... Sort of loose. Uh, anyway, thanks, Mark. Um, I don't really have anything to ask you about this week. We've we've been having a pretty because we've been having a pretty normal week here at the house. Mark's been out in the shed, mm-hmm. you know, getting up to his stuff. Um, Ominous. Apparently trolling Tef forums, and you know me, just been Ominous. busy with my chat rooms, uh, philately and all that stuff. So bye, Mark. Oh, he's he's gone. Oh, he's gone already. Wow. Oh. Man, he yeah, not want to see I, us tonight. I would. I feel like he's up to stuff. I don't. I don't trust that. Yeah, yeah. Watch we'll, this space next week. We. Uh, I don't know. Something. Something may be amiss. You know. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye out. We'll keep everyone posted, and then you know we'll probably forget that we've. You know we had this whole discussion. I'm gonna. <laughs> hey guys, the guys, the, the trash can near the. I keep my, my my computer has a. There's a receipt to. Le Francaise Fancy. The chicest restaurant in town. Mark would never go there alone. Do, do I hear wedding bells? <laughs> well, clearly I got a mystery to get to. <laughs> this all. But first, podcast. He married? Oh. <laughs> Why would he be living with me if he's married? Don't break the fiction, Tyler. <laughs> what fiction? We see him. We know. You're right. We know that he's there. The I audience will like never this. believe it. I also want to point out he lives with me. Correct. I don't live we've in his d- we've house. We've established this. 
You don't need to go over I this. didn't move into his house and say, I'm doing a podcast. I'm going to wrap that up by saying I'm setting the the Zuckerberg threat index at five. I think I think that's... <laughs> oh, no. Out of, out of how much, don't Tyler? Don't worry about that. We'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, I'm going to go first, best and worst thing. Uh, yes, please. So, uh, to get... To talk about the Suicide Squad, <laughs> a movie that definitively does not have any Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Are you sure? <laughs> pretty sure. Who was in the vigilante suit? <laughs> I could not tell you. Um, <laughs> I uh, my best thing about the Suicide Squad is, I think. <sighs> Overall, the the tone of this is such pure James Gunn in a way that I don't think he's ever... I haven't seen all of his movies. I haven't seen some of his early stuff that I know is supposed to be insane and weird. I have seen Super. Uh, Super's weird and insane. And I, I enjoyed it, I think, but probably would not recommend it to many people. But I think this is like such a good distillation of why I really like James Gunn, especially like I'm a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, I think he does an incredible job nailing the both the characters and the tone uh, when he's dealing with a bunch of characters that, uh, you know, you do have Harley Quinn. You do have Rick Flagg for whatever that's worth from the last movie, whatever cachet he has from Suicide Squad. Um but for the most part, dealing with like complete unknowns and uh, crafting them into the, such like rich, interesting, uh, kind of uh, fun, insane characters that are all sort of tragic and uh, absurd and funny, all wrapped up in one. Um, the relationships between them as they develop throughout the movie are super touching and and funny and like. There, there are so many layers to everything that happens here because it is such a ridiculous movie on the surface. But it's, it's, I think it's genuinely beautiful, uh, especially as you get into that third act. There, there's stuff there that I think is incredibly powerful um, because the characters are so just completely like outcast, uh, nothing characters that you wouldn't expect anyone to be able to uh, put together into something compelling. And, uh, you know, I think like it, it goes back to the first Guardians, like, People say, oh my gosh, the MCU made uh, Guardians, or the MCU made, whatever the phrase is, like Star-Lord and a, a walking tree and uh, a talking raccoon. Uh, they, they made this into like the super popular franchise. And it's like, well, yes, they did. It was James Gunn that did that. It was James Gunn who had that vision <laughs> of like, this is how I'm yeah. going to make these characters super likable and, and turn these into like, I mean, that he was playing off of things that had already been in the comics, but nobody was reading the, the Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning uh, comic book run uh, in 2014 on, on a wide scale as much as I wish they were. Uh, and I think he just like, it has such a, a, like a, a human and for such a weird dude, he has such a human element to everything mm -hmm. he, he touches. So um, it's just like the James Gunn of it all. I, I was, I kind of started off that, by saying the tone, but it's, it's really just like how much he gets to be himself. And I think, uh, just like he, he is continuing to mature as a filmmaker. Uh, I, I don't know that I would call 
this movie mature in the i guess like humor sense but the the <laughs> thematically i think it it is like genuinely yeah, rich for sure um and we can talk about that more because I, i'm sure i don't know how many i don't know exactly what the vibe on this movie is from general audiences but uh i think it's great so there's that um my worst thing is oh i had it and then i've lost it again uh i i had something explicitly planned and now i can't think of it oh no no i do know um my worst thing is one particular scene which is uh the scene where they go in and they murder all of the freedom fighters uh right. which is a lot of fun it's a fun scene you get bud sport and john cena being being wild and like competing with each other to outkill this group of uh fighters and then uh the leader of the the freedom fighters is actually hanging out with rick flag and, and they're totally fine he flag is not captured uh they just like got bad intel and assumed and it killed everyone and the the leader she has a moment where she's like about to break down and she's like crushed and then she kind of just like you stupid americans you 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 always go in guns blazing but also uh they killed my family so i'm going to side with you i i feel like that turn is way too quick again talking about how much yeah. i think the human element does work for the rest of this movie that really sticks out to me as like that's not a realistic reaction for this person to have. Like this person should right. not at all accept these people <laughs> or well, like they, they've, they've gunned down her, her army, Pr- presumably a lot of people that she probably was very close to. Uh, I, I don't, I did not buy that at all. Uh, and I think overall, she doesn't get a ton to do throughout that. She's kind of like this, this very ancillary character that, they try to set like they have her get revenge on the the president of the the island um and that's like i guess a beat in the third act that's kind of nice i don't think do they does she show up again after that uh on the news footage about how it's they have free right, elections right. and okay. stuff or democratic so, elections so that's fine and that's nice but the, a, a lot of that feels less inventive and it, it it was just really distracting me to have that moment of like Oh, she's lost. These people have taken like all of these these friends and soldiers from her, and she kind of within thirty seconds is like, "All right, fine, I'll, I'll hang out with y'all and <laughs> and join in your plan." I don't know. I I needed more from that moment. That one really stuck out to me. I guess we're yeah. Fine. But <clears throat> look, I think you're ignoring a very key element in all of mm-hmm. that, and that is the the smooth talking of Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> this is true i mean the man just oozes charisma you know he doesn't not. <laughs> <laughs> he, has a, he has a gentle glow of charisma it's it may, i don't know about oozing but yeah it's there he went to the moon he's, cool it man. he's a little slick with charisma yeah well anyway uh i'm gonna let alex cool off for a minute hold tyler hold him back hold him back um uh no that uh yeah i'll i'm gonna go now (laughs) it's my turn uh sorry guys i'm being a real harley over here um i would be harley quinn we all know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay that sounded like i was being indignant i was i was (laughs) just be i said it sadly my my worst thing about this movie is it's very very minor but it is that 
in some cases, I wish we got... Okay, my, my worst thing about this movie is Ratcatcher 1. However, by oh, the only thing I mean about that is Taika doesn't get enough to do in mm-hmm. it. Taika Waititi, of course, plays Ratcatcher 1. He gets maybe two lines in a flashback. And it, it, watching it, I have this blend of like, I like that we most, I like that we get Ratcatcher 2. She's a great character. I like that performance a lot. And we just get this little flashback with her dad. And I think that's enough. I don't need a whole, you know, 20 minute sequence of their life together. But it feels weird that they got Taika. And it almost, I don't know. It's it somehow the, the, the amount seemed strange. It both seemed too much for like, you know, in the Muppet movie, how they would have like Madeline Kahn just say a line and you'd be mm-hmm. like, that was Madeline Kahn. And then they'd move on. But then it feels a little too much for that, but it's also too little for having Taika. So it, I don't know. It was this odd kind of blend. Um, much like this movie's obvious inspiration, Deadpool 2, uh, <laughs> which also has a, very, a, a, bl- a literal blink and you miss it cameo. Um, which I now, don't. Now mind. I have to. That's true. Now I have to hold Tyler <laughs> <Yes>. back. <laughs> so that was something that because a lot of the other cameos in the movie, I, I remember the when we we all watched this together last year, and I remember being kind of bummed that like Nathan Fillion and uh, uh, Michael Rooker, Flula Borg, we didn't get more with them. But then when I put it together, they're like, oh, John uh, James Gunn just got all of his buddies. Because, like, mm-hmm. Fillion and Rooker are in, like, everything mm-hmm. he makes. Obviously, Sean Gunn played Weasel, and that's his brother. He's like, I'm just going to get my friends to come for a weekend, play these crazy heroes, and die on a beach. Like, it's then it became fun for me, how, how that works. And so I was like, it's cool that Tyke is there, but I kind of wanted a little more of him. Um, and on a very different note, my best thing is, I don't know how to phrase it succinctly, but it's basically the sort of, political the, the like real world parallels and i do not like this phrase but political commentary by which i mean i really love how the movie balances a a, a, a acknowledgement and kind of a discussion of a, of na- of like a, a militarism and the dark side of patriotism how the obvious parallel is vietnam where you've got this nation having an internal conflict where a lot of people around the world can go, yeah, that those people are doing a bad thing and it's bad. And then a country of power is like, we'll handle it and then go in and make it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, however, this movie obviously has a much as a hyper reality where there's a MacGuffin, which is a giant starfish alien. And like it, it, it ends up, it doesn't feel like I'm watching a Vietnam movie disguised as a superhero movie. But I like that the movie thought was thinking about it enough to have that happen at all. And still in a way that make it very, that makes it very clear. The, 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 the Maltesian military are clearly the bad guys and it's very easy to root against them. And in the end, our characters ultimately make a heroic choice. Part of that involves covering up American involvement in this. There's a really heartbreaking line that Starro, the conqueror, mm-hmm. the evil starfish, or the crazy starfish, says at the end that reframes your whole perspective of him and how that involves military involvement in things and imperialism. Peacemaker as a character mm-hmm. is a commentary on the dark side of patriotism, this idea of because I love my country, I can do whatever I want. Because I have this seemingly noble goal, I can be as violent as I want in the, quote, pursuit of it. Um, and even the not quite meta, 
casting, but the very smart casting of John Cena, who is a, who does a really good job. I really enjoy him in this. But he's also an all-American pro wrestler who has a wide fan base of people who would go see this movie and then be confronted with this character. And the movie doesn't lean too heavily into it. It does not feel like an anti-America mm. movie. It doesn't feel like anti-anything movie. It just feels like, hey, let's talk about how like this is kind of an issue. But also we have this big superhero craziness going on. And I like that the movie's not glib, but it's also not preachy. I just think it balanced that really well. And most of all, I like that a superhero movie did that period or that James Gunn was like, I want to do this. And that DC and Warner Brothers were like, yeah, do it. <laughs> sure. Um, I just found all of that really effective and that it's, it wasn't like a throwaway thing or they kind of like hand wave it like it's a it's through the movie. It is you're constantly confronted with that. And I, I just I just found all that really well done. So. Yeah, it's really neat that I, I don't really know if the the comics that this is mainly based off of kind of go with all of those kind of thematic uh elements but it is really cool that at least from james gunn's perspective he's taking the premise as it sits and just kind of naturally explores themes that just would would pop up from that mm -hmm. um and I guess it's just funny how how much of this feels like it should just be the first suicide squad movie <laughs> um this just so naturally just gets the premise in a way that that the 2016 one just doesn't like that movie just especially in hindsight just makes absolutely no sense yep. in terms of just the, the foundation of it. Um, but this one is very much like, you know, we've got these criminals, we're sending them into this undercover mission. Most of them are probably going to die, but we have plausible deniability because it's a bunch of supervillains. Uh, it's it's perfect. And and it, it's a perfect avenue to explore all of those ideas. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll join the choir here. I, I did really enjoy the movie, probably not as much as y'all did. Um, and I think that mostly comes down to, I have just reservations about James Gunn's style, sure. uh, even with the guardians movies and whatnot, but I, you know, I could get into that a little bit. My best thing is going to be the conflict that pops up between Rick flag and peacemaker. Um, because I think that is very much kind of the center, you know, that's the core of the movie's plot. I, I wouldn't necessarily say like the emotional elements because that's probably Ratcatcher 2 and Bloodsport. Um, but uh, the whole scene of them confronting each other and Rick Flagg immediately going, I'm not going to blindly follow orders. I'm going to, yeah. you know, this, this news that the American government actually caused this whole thing with star of the conqueror to happen in the first place, they kind of brought it here and, and have kind of uh, messed this country up in a very bad way. Um, I, I'm going to, to release this because people need to know and peacemaker going, no, I can't let you do that. Uh, you know, and, and I, I like how the movie's framed. I like how it's not like super cartoony when it gets to that point. I think peacemaker is kind of a joke leading up to that. But I like how when we get to that that scene, he's actually laying out his reasons. And from his perspective, at least, it makes sense. I, he is yep. definitely in the wrong, but it makes sense where he's coming from. Um, him going, you know, it, this could be an international incident. There could be other people that die because of this. We have, you know, this will definitely hurt the reputation of America. Like we have to, you know, I, I can't let you do this. Um, even though I like you, I respect you. I don't want to have to hurt you and or kill you, which he ends up doing. Um, I like that conflict and 
you know, it's funny. I, I, you know, I, I was joking a little bit about Joel Kinnaman. I actually think he's a bright spot of not just this movie, but of the 2016 Suicide Squad. Oh, yeah. If I remember, if I remember correctly, my favorite thing of the 2016 movie was his chemistry with Will Smith. And anytime cool. they were kind of building a relationship, I was like, oh, that's really neat. That's kind of do more of that. Um, so when it got to this movie and I'm like, oh, they're letting, they're letting Joel Kinnaman do things. He's, he's yeah. a, he's a little bit of a jokester. He's got, he's, you know, it's, <laughs> there's like a lighthearted nature to it. And then you get to that scene and it's super, it's like dead serious and he's acting his heart out. Um, yeah. I thought I found that like really resonant. And then on top of just the very cool effect that they do where the fight between the two of them is happening, um, through Peacemaker's helmet the camera is kind of panning over it. And apparently that's that's like, apparently that's a digital effect. Like the, the helmet is not actually there. Um, it's, it's really neat. Um, what was John Cena wearing in the movie? (laughs) What? (laughs) Uh, he's wearing ping pong balls. Anyway. Um, and then you get entirely, you get inserted into the film. Actually. (gasps) Whoa. Like Roy Kent. mm -hmm. I mean, nobody looks that good. (laughs) But uh, you the you get to the end and just I was genuinely shocked when when Peacemaker killed Rick Flag. Yeah. Um, because I I that was the one part of the movie where I I felt like oh we actually got past the opening scene and we're actually killing people that I didn't expect to die. This is interesting yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rick Flag's last line of Peacemaker, what a joke that. Just the way that he says it and the way that John Cena, his just his facial expression of like horror and like sheer embarrassment and and humiliation when he hears that, um, all of that's great. And for me, that's kind of that single sequence of the film. Like that's when I think of this movie, that's where my brain automatically goes. I think that's kind of the best out and out sequence of the, the entire thing. Um, I guess my worst thing. Got a couple of potential options. I think I'll probably just go with inconsistent humor. Um, there were some parts of the movie that are quite funny. Obviously, the opening where we have, you know, seemingly we have our team for the film um, that we've we've had set up. They go to the beach and then they all just get slaughtered. Um, it's also funny that just Pete Davidson is just there and walks up yeah. and gets his face blown off. <laughs> it's just it's so visceral and shocking. <laughs> um and we'll have to kind of dissect what's going on there plot wise. Cause I, I'm a little confused about him selling everyone out and how that works um, with Waller's plan to screw them all over. Anyway, I was, I was very confused about all that. Um, but there were certain just sections of the movie that I didn't find very funny. There's the whole bit kind of leading up to that where they're on the helicopter and like all the characters are trading dialogue and Harley shows up and says that she was just in the bathroom and I didn't find any of that interplay all that funny. Um, except for maybe when Joel Kinnaman was going, Hey, he's weasel. He eats people, but he's, he's fine now. He's on our side. Um, he's, he's, he's doing this. That and, uh, Pete Davidson freaking out about him being a werewolf. Yeah. You sent me, you sent me next to a werewolf. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think Nathan Philly is really funny in that bit too. Talking about like putting the seatbelt on and everything. He's, he's so good. I love Nathan Philly. Sure. Um, but yeah, I thought the, the humor was just very, very mixed and I've, I've kind of feel felt this way about all of James Gunn's movies. I think sometimes he goes a little bit too far. 
Um, and obviously that's just a matter of taste. Some people are going to think 100% of the jokes land. Some people are going to think none of them land. Um, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. But compared to like Michael Bay movies, this is definitely... <laughs> <laughs> if we're doing the Michael Bay uh, mm-hmm. joke hit counter, this this is like a, a, a an 80% as opposed to his normal like 20%. Um, yeah, that's, that's my best thing and worst thing. Also, just so everyone knows, normally we do this over Skype and we do it over a video call so we can all actually see each other, but I am having connection issues. So this is all audio only. It does. Cause I'm just seeing Tyler. So it does seem to me like you're in Tyler's room and being shy. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look you, at me. Look, can you prove that I'm not? Uh, no, I can't. I could. That's but what I thought. I won't. <laughs> I, I'm holding Alex's arm over like the uh, like Woody in Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> Let's show him our new best friend's handshake. I do want to oh. do a quick follow up on on old joke Inaman, as I will now call him, because <laughs> um, he's so funny. No, uh, I I also like him. I remember him being one of the few that come out unnerfed by the previous movie <laughs> because you don't go in that movie expecting Rick Flagg to be anything sure. and then therefore he's not damaged. So you're like, oh, cool, he was fine. Um, I've been watching For All Mankind on Apple TV+, Plus, which is a phenomenal TV show that I recommend to everybody and their mother. It's so brilliant. But um, he's the one of the leads on that and he's very, very good. He occasionally gets some, some humor in that, but it's otherwise he's mostly a very serious character in very serious plot lines. And so it was nice watching this where he gets to be around comedy mm-hmm. and gets to, and he's not like, you know, wearing crazy hats and doing silly stuff. Like he gets, he gets jokes. Like he gets to have a little more levity and he, he does wear a crazy really hat well. at one point. He does wear a crazy hat. You're right. I take that back. Um, in the dance sequence, which is quite mm-hmm. fun from, for everyone. He involved. gets some good, um, like he plays off of everyone. It's yes. I don't know if it's quite like just playing the straight man, but it, it's kind of that vibe of like, yeah, he's like the straight man who's in on yeah. it a little bit. Um, but, you know, we were messaging about this uh, last night watching the movie, and I was like, I just want to give him a sticker for being like a solid actor boy. <laughs> just like he's just dependable. <laughs> Thanks, Joel Kinnaman. Like whenever I see you, you're just, you're, a, you're a dependable you're actor, and acting. I appreciate that. Yeah, and you're good at it, and I value it. <laughs> and I think he's Swedish, which is very <laughs> impressive if so, or at least was born there. I don't know his life story. Um, maybe we can get him on the podcast. Hey, <laughs> I, I have so many questions about RoboCop 2014. You <laughs> wanna, have no idea. Do, do you think one of these days, one of these random like, hey, so-and-so come on the podcast invites that we send out is going to send like mm-hmm. a message in the bottle. One, one in a million yeah. shot is going to wash up on somebody's Twitter page and they're going to be like, what? Okay. It's going to turn out that like they've been, li- it's like, uh, this is super inside, but like Lyle Lovett and Duchess Goldblatt from Twitter being friends. This is a, I'm reading a book right now. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but there's uh, it, it, like Joel Kinnaman happens to listen to, he like stumbled on us mm-hmm. one day because he was like, oh, I want to know what people think about Midsommar. <laughs> not even, not even for Suicide Squad. Just no, he, no, he's he like, wa- I know what that is. In the middle of 2020. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, hey, we were Yeah, all... I got to pick up some new podcasts. Uh, yeah. Flying around the house. I, w- I want to come. I'm getting used to a new normal. I want to come together apart. Let's mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. And then found our show and he's like, <gasps> The call. I finally got the call. <laughs> we would Joel, love if you're that. listening, we genuinely would love to have you on the show. We'll, we'll we like talk you. about Eternals, and it'll be great. Yeah. Oh, man. 
<laughs> That'd be great. And my favorite part of uh, the Eternals is when, when Rob Stark has those laser hands. Britain hasn't seen the movie yet, so I think that's what happens. Close enough. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I, I do want to say that you know, in, in spite of this being like a soft reboot, like this. It doesn't directly reference the previous Suicide Squad, and you can basically just think, like, this is the starting point. I do respect James Gunn bringing back several of the mm-hmm. actors. Um, I think yeah. it could have been very easy to go, oh, hey, Warner Brothers is going to demand that I have Margot Robbie here, but I can kind of just go my own way. Um, but I appreciate, you know, Joel Kinnaman comes back, um, Viola Davis comes back as Amanda Waller, Um and then uh, we have Jai Courtney in there for a scene, um, yeah. which is which is fun. Um, but I, I I I I was missing some of the people from the previous film, specifically Will Smith. But um, I, I appreciate that he didn't completely go. Okay, I've well, got to I, I got to <clears throat> start from scratch. And I think it's interesting what he does with the blood sport because Will Smith's character, or blood, I should say, blood sport feels like a parody of Will Smith's character that is playing it as how it would actually be like in a more realistic take. Sure. Because, uh, in suicide squad, 2016, um, who's Will Smith playing? Is he playing Deadshot? Yes. Deadshot has a daughter, the man who can kill anything. Doesn't Deadshot have a daughter? Floyd lot. Am I making that up? He does. And, and it's like, they're very sweet and he's super fatherly, but Oh no, big, big mean Batman got me in prison and I didn't do it. It's big, big mean Batman used my daughter as a human yes, shield against uh, me. It's, it's sort of the Sandman thing from uh Spider-Man three, but not quite as bad because he doesn't like kill a bunch of people and then be like, I did it all for my daughter. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, maybe he sort of does. I don't know. Uh, this one starts with uh blood sport, getting a visit from his daughter in prison and she's been uh, like arrested for shoplifting a a, a fancy watch and a fancy not Apple watch. And uh, (laughs) they get into a shouting match and it's, it's the dialogue is funny, but there's an undercurrent there of like, this probably makes more sense with like how a, a daughter would have a relationship with her father who's in prison or like, like it, it tracks a lot more to me. And that feels like a, a, maybe not a commentary, but a uh, response to the first movie of like, eh, we're going to make these characters feel a little more grounded and like struggling with day to day issues rather than being these, like not even archetypes. I don't know what you'd call them. Non characters. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so I, I think there's something there. There's also a good bit where early on Bloodsport uh, is like basically Amanda Waller, who is way better in this because she's way more ruthless and just kind of feels a lot yeah. more carved out as a character. Uh, yeah. She's like, and, al- and also the R rating allows her to actually lose her cool. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's basically saying blackmailing Bloodsport by saying she'll put his daughter in uh, the same prison if he doesn't join the suicide squad uh and she's like all all the people on the suicide squad were chosen for their unique abilities and then the first person she shows him to is peacemaker and he's like he does the exact same thing as i do um and then they have a conversation about uh how 
Peacemaker would shoot things even more dead center than Bloodspot, Bloodspot, Bloodsport, uh, which is a payoff setup and payoff for the yeah. ending, which is incredible. Um, yep. Because it's can, so can silly. Can I ask a question point. real quick? No. So Bloodsport is not the same as Bloodshot. No, Bloodshot is Vin Diesel. And also not and DC. He's, yeah, he's immortal, I think, or is a zombie. Bloody Bloodshot Look, is both both of the. Both of these movies of came out. Didn't they both come out in 2021, or or is Bloodshot right. a, yes. a 2020 film? Oh, maybe. Sometime Bloodshot was 2020. Sometime in the 2020 2021 conglomerate year. Yeah. Look, yeah. the pandemic is just created a blur mm-hmm. in terms of pop culture consumption. So you gotta give them a different name, just anything. <laughs> What I, we'll find out when we do our Bloodshot episode, mm-hmm. feet Joel Kinnaman. <laughs> <laughs> he comes on to talk about Bloodshot. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, that would be great. Yeah, I, I just, I, I real quick, I just checked this the the IMDb because I was wondering if Storm Reed played both Will Smith and Deadshot's daughter in both movies because so that would have been great. <laughs> she didn't. It was a different <laughs> actress. But it did lead me. One of the actors who played a ranger in the film just. One of the unnamed rangers. The actor's name is James Chili Chillingworth. Ooh. And it's the best name, and he can I, also be on the podcast. I hope this is the first of many for him. I hope I hope he this is like his his foot in the door and that, you know, yeah. twenty years from now people will be like, Man, here comes the sequel. Oh jeez, Britain, what is this reaction? Oh, it got better. <laughs> <laughs> James Chili Chillingworth is an actor, stand-up comedian, improv nut, and writer. Mm-hmm. And he's also the founder and CEO of the Consulting Practice, a cybersecurity and information technology consulting company. Okay. So <laughs> he's my new favorite person. He likes <laughs> Okay, I'm we can't do this. <laughs> um, I can't derail to, us again. To to get us back on the tracks, uh yes, Britain, please. you mentioned Deadpool 2, and I think it's important to spend a bit of time talking about why Deadpool 2 sucks um, when discussing this movie, because... Agreed. I have the receipts. You can go back and listen to our episode uh, on Deadpool 2. I very specifically was talking about the scene where Deadpool recruits a bunch of random guys to go do an invasion, and they all jump down in parachutes, and they all die. Uh, And one of them is brad pitt for a second in a in a scene i'm not convinced he actually shot it might have just been like footage that was kind of like <laughs> manipulated to show his face for a second um there's an old daily from meet joe black and they're like hey, use that. <laughs> pretty much uh and i thought it was the, and then later on in the movie matt damon and uh, somebody else are having a conversation that just, alan like, tudyk yes they're having a conversation that's just like, wh- why were you here? Um, and I was very mad. Uh, I was mad about a lot of things for that movie. But one thing I was really frustrated by was the fact that that did not sit. Like, I remember watching in the theater and just completely checking out of the movie at that point. That is like <laughs> in the middle, in the first act, like the end of the first act. Um, because they spend a good bit of time setting up this characters as like people you kind of want to get into uh, and, and like. And then they all die and it's very mean-spirited and like annoying this movie does like eight different things that are or that make the the opening of the movie that but so much better 
Because um, one of the things I, I said specifically is that I wish they had just cat like put a bunch of famous actors in the marketing, or not, not even famous, but like put in a bunch of, of recognizable actors like Matt Damon and Alan Tudyk in the marketing and had that be a whole thing of like, oh my gosh, the, these people are going to be part of the X-Force and then kill them all off in one scene and be hilarious. That's exactly what they do here. They have <laughs> like 20 people who they've marketed for. Like I remember there being a big uh, press panel thing. Uh, I think mid pandemic actually, because like this was like during when, when all the zoom kind of panels were rising yeah. uh, as, as a, a way to do news and stuff. Um, and um, they had a big one where like everyone who was in the movie was like on this thing. It was, was chatting. Uh, and the, so we're talking about like, is it Fluva Borg? Borg. 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 Flula Borg. Flula Borg. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Fillion, um, and and you've got like a mix. You've got like, it, it's not all the people who die right away. Like Idris Elba obviously survives the whole movie. Um, yeah. But you've also got uh, obviously um, Jai Courtney is back. You've got Margot Robbie. You've got this like huge mix of of actors that are all like, I know that person. Oh, that's gonna be super fun to see them in the movie. Uh, obviously Michael Rooker. Um, and then they all get completely murdered at the beginning. And it's hilarious <laughs> because you know all that. I mean, Pete Davidson, like, you know all these people. Yeah. And it's so much easier as an audience to be like, that is an actor. I'm not supposed to be super connected to this person. I haven't had a lot of time with this character to really feel like right. I'm connected to them. This is the beginning of the movie. Um, it sets the tone. I think it's really funny. Um, it's over the top. It's it's crazy. Uh, and... Uh, I, I feel like that's it's just such a better execution of that sort of overdoing kind of a, a parody thing of superheroes and the way like things would actually go if superheroes tried to exist in the real world. Like it, it's such a better execution of that of that kind of scene. Um, and the other point to that uh, that I think speaks to the, the human element and kind of the heart that continues to really only grow throughout the movie uh savant the opening scene is savant sitting there michael rooker and he's throwing a ball around and a bird lands mm -hmm. in his uh courtyard that he's throwing a ball around in and he kills the bird uh and it's very menacing and like oh well that was unpleasant um and then at the end he freaks out and or at the end of that scene he freaks out and swims away from the beach where they're all getting shot and they blow up his head and then a bird the exact same type of bird lands on his head and it's yeah. like okay we're not only are we, I mean, and this also goes to like Pete Davidson is walks out and he's like, I betrayed these guys. I, I called you here. It's, it's me. And then they immediately shoot him. Like they very quickly establish, okay, these characters that are horrible monsters. I mean, like <laughs> weasel who they are like, oh yes, this, this, this thing has killed like a bunch of children, uh, drowns immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> like there's the, uh, horrifying in credit scene where he finally coughs up the water and gets up. Um, but that it establishes he just, an immediate, he just he just scampers away <laughs> he just scampers away it establishes an immediate like we don't we're people are going to die in this movie a lot uh but also we're going to acknowledge like whether that person was not not good or bad but like whether that was like a cruel person or or someone who right. like was very hateful and like we're it, we're going to kind of play with the fact that they're getting their comeuppance uh when we do things like that uh, so I, I just, I think that opening is perfect. I think it sets the tone exactly right. 
Uh, and it is literally what I asked for from Deadpool 2. So um, <laughs> there's that. Uh, Alex, I know you had yeah. thoughts on or questions about the opening if you want to ask about that now. But The only or question Deadpool I had two, was... Or Deadpool that. 2. I mean, we, let's just do another review of that and we can end with me complaining about Marvel uh, MCU bonus features sure. again. <laughs> sure. Um, I just had... I just had one plot logistics question, which was, so Pete Davidson's character, um, and I cannot remember his character's name, which is probably part of the point, yeah. um, uh, and speaks Black to Guard. White Black Guard, yes. Um, so he is, he, he walks out onto the beach and he, he tells the Corto Maltese army, hey, I've, you know, I, I'm the one who called ahead or whatever, and... I was a little bit confused by that because I thought this was all a plan that was set up by Amanda Waller in the first place. So did she tell him to call them or what's what's going on I, there? I think she just in, I, I think that her plan was we'll send the 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 goon squad and to get likely killed mostly to be a distraction. And then we'll send the Monstars over here. And to do it like for real, for real, which is kind of confusing because she has Flag and Harley on the yeah. the the B team, which maybe that's that was going to be my thing. That was going to be my other point because that would have actually been an interesting connection back to the first film. Because at the end yeah. of the first film, they basically blackmail uh, Amanda Waller into letting yeah. them all live at the end. Sure. So that would have been. That would have been kind of a fun twist if, like, oh, this is the next mission, and everyone that was on the last one, she's trying to kill them, too. Sure. Um, Which she does, I mean, Boomerang, because I guess, like, what, Enchantress and Diablo died in the the previous one, and Slipknot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Enchantress turns back into normal Cara Delevingne, I believe. I don't think she dies. Okay. But I don't know if she's technically a member of the squad at that point, either, because she's not in prison. No. Oh, okay. I I don't know. But yeah, um Diablo dies. Um Yeah, I guess how many people are really left? I guess it would be uh Queen Killer Croc. Harley Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, Boomerang. Um everyone's favorite Killer Croc. Um mm-hmm. Deadshot, Boomerang. So yeah, they bring back like half of the folks that survived, you know. Yeah. Um but yeah, that it is mm. weird that that Rick Flag is is part of that team considering he's the one that's supposed to be kind I, of holding everything together when i don't know if I, my i guess my interpretation and i don't know i would have to like watch the beginning again and see exactly what they say about it but my interpretation would just be they sent in like that squad that had like more people was kind of more the the you're not even the big guns because i don't i think definitely eat yourself a squad is, is more of a um power squad but they got this, King Shark. Yeah, they send in the other one with like a lot of uh, noisy, distracting people, uh, <laughs> colorful sure. people. Uh, and then maybe the idea was just like they draw the armies towards them uh, while the other one sneaks in uh, and not necessarily like expecting them all to get killed, but just being like, well, they're the Suicide Squad. The, it's fine if they die. We're going to send this, these people in. Uh, to to be the big group that they all get distracted by, and then we'll have the other squad sneaking through the jungle to kill the president or whatever they were trying to do. So yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's not really a big deal because I mean the end result either way is that that team gets killed. Like I yeah. get it, 
Um, I, I was just a little bit confused about if Pete Davidson going, hey, I, I betrayed everyone. I went ahead and let, you know, I warned y'all ahead of time that we were coming. If that was part of Waller's plan or not. Because I don't think the movie gives us a very good answer on that. Yeah, I don't think it is. Because she's like shocked and surprised yeah, when it, it happens. Isn't right? she like, what are you doing, Pete Davidson? Yes. During, when that's Which, happening I mean, over the comms. Could all be a smokescreen. But I mean, it could it could be because she obviously is keeping things from her staff. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No. That seemed like an I, extra added. El- I mean, I'm going on too long about this. This really doesn't matter. Um, it just seemed like a little bit of an, an overcomplication to it. I don't know. I do like that in this Amanda Waller is more antagonistic that like she ends up like her staff has to like the, mm-hmm. the woman like smacks her with a like a mic stand or something to yeah. to knock her out because she's just going off the rails and is going to kill him. And I I don't know. I, I, I like that the movie didn't feel the need to be like, I don't know. I, I like that she was a jerk, too, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I like that yeah, the movie and- ends with oh, good. Uh, I, I really like the moment where she's like, job's done. Y'all y'all destroyed the facility and all the data. Y'all y'all leave. You do not have to save these people. Um, yeah. I like how she doesn't have a change of heart or anything like that. She is still kind of a cold-blooded monster. <laughs> um, right. I, I like that they don't, yeah, that the way that's all handled is very, very, very well done. And I like that there is the consistency of they still don't re- release the information in exchange for their safety. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I like that because it, one, it's a little easier to avoid like sequel baiting and like, how do we wrap up this thing? If we, you know, have this huge choice made, but also it's in line that these are still not great people. Like they yeah. are heroes by the end and we do like them and we've seen their good sides. They're still like not great. <laughs> so I appreciate that we actually see them do bad things. Yeah. That was one of the biggest problems I had with the 2016 Suicide Squad was that that felt so watered down and it felt so afraid to, you know, it's constantly going, we're the bad guys, but they don't actually mm-hmm. do anything bad. Yeah. This one very, very immediately goes, no, 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 these are these are bad people. They can have redemption arcs of a sort, but they are still criminals. They've still done yeah. bad things. Talking of redemption arcs in general how did we feel about margot robbie and her third outing i kind of feel like i think so i think uh harley quinn and the birds of prey do a a long title uh i think that that's the one i mean she gets the most to do in that um and she gets a lot of fun action scenes and stuff in that so that one uses her really well I feel like this might be her best performance as Harley Quinn. Sure. Um, I don't know if maybe I'm I'm thinking too much about like James Gunn being a director and knowing that like I generally really like the performances he gets out of people. Um, yeah. But I I feel like she's really strong in this, and I think she feels like a little bit toned down in terms of she's still a pretty big caricature. Um. But yeah, like, but she yeah, but she she doesn't isn't doing like the voices in my head. Etc. Yeah, there's there's a little bit more of a, um, I think that this one, kind of like you're saying, Alex, it it effectively comes across that oh she's kind of a bad person like she it's not just oh she has fun and she blows things up, um, 
Although, it, if I wanted to point out a plot hole with the 2016 film, oh. um, she, when she kills the the uh, leader of Corto Maltese, and, and that is a wonderful scene when she goes on that long mm-hmm. long yeah. monologue about like, you know, I, I used to have an abusive boyfriend and I've learned, you know, I need to have some ground rules for myself. I need to know when, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I... I, I go for bad people. I kind of have toxic relationships and maybe I should just know when to kill that person. Um, <laughs> that, that whole thing's great. But she says, I draw the line at killing kids and the 2016 just or suicide squad does state in one of those goofy montage, uh, uh, kaleidoscope nightmares that she is implicated in the death of Robin <laughs> in this universe. <laughs> well, you know, Maybe this is a rule she said she set after. Yeah, that's that. She was like, "What did Joker do that was not good?" Hmm. <laughs> yeah, she said her pros and cons. List. Look like Jared Leto. Uh, <laughs> it it wasn't the damage tattoo. <laughs> had a damage tattoo uh, yeah. and also killed a child. Uh, yeah, I do think. I, also, is, we. Yeah. I should say real quick. This is this is the DCU that Robin could have been thirty five and like, yeah. We're talking about old. Batman. This could be, this could be the Burton Schumacher universe. This could be I mean, the Chris Burton O'Donnell Schumacher. is thirty five yes. in that. Exactly, exactly. Maybe that's what she did. She killed actor Chris O'Donnell and, <laughs> him and called him Robin, <laughs> which is a shame because we all like Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> we do like Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, scent of a woman. Come on. Chris O'Donnell, the, join the podcast. <laughs> join the podcast. Yes. Actually, please. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like these movies, Harley's just getting better. And again, mm-hmm. we keep talking. Of course, we're comparing it to the 2016 one. There is, it is hard to not be better than that movie. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> we we have had a lot of movies on the show where we've been like, eh, it didn't work. And I think this part, but that thing. Suicide Squad is a, I feel a pretty terrible movie, yes. um, in a lot of yeah. ways. Not just as far as superheroes or accuracy to comics or whatever. Like as a movie experience, mm-hmm. it's pretty bad, I think. But she was one of the things people really liked in that movie, and I think even though Birds of Prey is messy, it went, it was light years ahead yes. in terms of handling Harley. And then this movie goes, it's not as big of a jump because it didn't have as far to recover from, but it it, it is e- even more of an improvement and she's i think does a good job in it there's i remember there being one really good gag where they're uh they're all interrogating or threatening or whatever peter capaldi the thinker and they're like if you do such and such you're dead if you do such and such and she's like if you have vanity license plates you're dead mm-hmm. and all that stuff and kinnaman gets a few good jokes in there and then the camera's kind of rotating and they're all talking and threatening him and she just kind of walks in the background and goes i am pacing back and forth <laughs> something like that and it's pretty good it's a pretty good joke um but i really liked how it the scene she has this through line where javelin uh flula Borg is like you must carry mm-hmm. the javelin and she keeps being like i'm waiting for god to tell me what to do with the javelin <laughs> and she has a couple of different cool ways she uses it and she has this awesome escape scene from after she kills the handsome general where she's like flipping and doing all these crazy gymnast things and they have all these like flowers coming out of people instead of blood spurts mm-hmm. like it's this mm-hmm. really stylized kooky thing and you know it's hard to top the harley quinn animated show which is i've only seen the first season but it is so good um but man yeah. it's it's they do they're they're, they're doing better by her as these <laughs> movies go on well i think 
this movie learns from the mistakes of both Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. And by that, I mean, don't make Harley front and center. I like that she has her own side plot. Yeah. Um, She is not the main character of this movie, and she really doesn't have a character arc. I mean, the most she gets mm-hmm. in terms of a character arc is learning how, you know, what the javelin should be used for. Yeah, which is yeah. a great um, usage of her as a fan favorite to be like, we know that you're going to really enjoy whenever we get to scenes with her. So we don't like, we're just going to give you like bits and pieces of like, Oh, here's what she's up to now. Here's how she's escaping from this that are going to be just fun, like kind of levity inducing things in between all the other fun, crazy stuff that's happening. Um, Just like nice breaks that give you that, that taste of, of the, the fun Harley Quinn stuff without, uh, yeah, like you're saying, like, having to make her be a huge part of the movie. And I think that is more effective because it's like, Oh, that's, that's right. She's also in the movie and she's awesome. As opposed to having to just talk about her story. Yeah. I think the, what back when we did birds of prey, I think one of the things that I kind of negatively compared it to was the parts of the Caribbean sequels in terms of making Jack Sparrow, the main Mm -hmm. character, um, instead of a, you know, maybe dual protagonist in, in the yeah. first film, um, kind of making him front and center. You have to immediately amplify him and make him crazier. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what they did in birds of prey in a way. Um, and I found that kind of frustrating that she was just kind of taking over the movie and really kind of, uh, taking a lot of the space away from, from the other, uh, characters that I was, you know, interested in seeing more of in birds of prey. Um, but yeah, I think this is just the perfect use of of her as her, uh, you know, with her uh, kind of uh, reputation and uh, how, you know, she's known among the fan base. Um, yeah, I think she works. Agreed. Um, I, I really love King Shark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Um the only hindrance to me was that I I'm so fond of the Ron Funches King Shark on the animated show. Um, I yes. like him in this. I, I more and more as I get older, I hesitate at the they're dumb joke because it can run a little too easily into making fun of disabled people. That's not never the intention, but it always makes me go like, I, how do I feel? Not even getting upset, but just wondering like, do I feel this way? I don't know. Um, but it is very funny. I think and King Shark is very good. I also like that they call him Nanawe or Anawe. Nanawe. Nanawe. But they do that like, through, I like that. Yeah, yeah. They call him by his name. I think, I think that's cool. that the key to the, oh, he's he's a big dumb brute uh, in this movie is that he's a toddler. <laughs> I think right. that's that's how they play that in a way that feels pretty pretty safe and not like, it's just like, oh, okay, he's, you know. Yeah he's he's very childish like he's right right uh asking if if a person is nom nom at the end uh that that feels okay to me and feels like they play that pretty well yeah well like that whole bit where they're doing the debriefing and ratcatcher 2 who they have all these jokes about her being a millennial it's all very funny where she's like what is that it's an overhead projector why do you have it don't worry (laughs) and they're doing all these questions and then he raises his hand he's got his like arm like leaned over the chair and he just points his hand and goes hand yes <laughs> nanawe that is your hand <laughs> and he kind of nods like all right then we're all on the same page 
when he has the book and he's like, I have book. <laughs> yeah. And it's upside down. <laughs> Voiced, of course, by uh, over the top himself, Sylvester mm-hmm, Stallone. Mm-hmm. Um, Bullet to the Head, all the great films. Uh, and physically played by Steve Agee, one of the control room guys. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. So a little something uh, for the Agee heads out there. Yeah, I think Stallone is absolutely wonderful in this. And yeah, the the Ron Funches version in the Harlequin animated series can't really be topped. But I like that this one doesn't just repeat that. It goes for a different angle on mm-hmm. the King Shark character. Um, and particularly the scene where he, he kind of finds this aquarium. Um, yes. And he's just kind of running around with all the fish and whatever. And then they end up being like mutant fish that attack him once the water breaks. Yeah, it's such a... Uh, uh, it's such a sad like uh, again it's 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 very funny and then suddenly it gets very sad because he thought he found some little friends and then they're trying yeah. to rip him apart uh and then he gets like the tower falls on him and he eats a dude <laughs> and there's, there's a whole there's a whole thing uh he, he goes through the ringer uh but then at the end it's it's so sweet when he's uh on the plane and Ratcatcher 2 is leaning on him and he's just like, huh, this is nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a really good, I think. I don't know if it's a fully an arc, but at least him, him uh, finding people that will treat him as a friend. <clears throat> yeah. It's really nice. There's also the glorious image of him ripping a guy in half. Yes. Where it slows yeah. down and the camera just holds on it. It's very good. Um, yeah, Ratcatcher 2 is great. What a great character. How nice that in this big celebrity-filled movie, uh, Daniela Melchior, not a famous person, gets such a, a rich character arc, gets to do a lot. She's in one of the hearts of the movie. I really love the relationship she forms with, with Bloodsport. Blood um, yeah, she's just real. I really like that performance. I thought she did a really good job. And uh, we haven't mentioned David Dostmalshian as... Uh, Polka Dot Man. Who's great? So that's how you say his last name. I have never actually heard it said. I know. I I think I happened to hear it on like a podcast. uh, John Hodgman, I think, said it or something. Now, Alex, which of the Nolan movies is he in? He is in Dark Knight. Okay. That's what I thought. Is that it? There was another one. He's in Dark Knight. He's in a a couple. He's in several Denny Villeneuve movies, Mm -hmm. actually. Oh, okay. Um, And he's also in the Ant-Man movies, of course. Right. Sure. Sure, ba- sure, sure, sure. Baba Yaga. He's a very, very recognizable actor and a very good actor. And yeah. they they brush up against a lot of like the whole thing where he has like this horrible mother. And so he pictures the bad guys as his mother so he can kill them. I that think leads... that's my that's my favorite gag of the entire film. Like every time that pops up, yeah. it, like you never get over mm-hmm. just how weird it, it is. Well, and it made me realize, like, that actress had to wear so many costumes mm-hmm. <laughs> and get in so much makeup for all of that stuff. But there's that great bit where he sees all the squad as her, and she's just King Shark at one point. <laughs> but even down to, like, in when they're all in the bar dancing, and John Cena's doing this great, like, thing where he's just moving his arms back and forth. But uh, Polka Dot Man is, he, he's doing this great, he's kind of dancing, but he keeps, like, swishing his hair around trying to be all cool and then you see that he's surrounded by his mm-hmm. mother and that's a little creepy but it's also funny um and they have this like when they're talking about the freedom fighters and alice braga is like what did you what happened and 
uh, well, you know, they shot up. And everyone's talking over each other. And then the very, very end, he goes, I turned them into my mother in my mind and killed them. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I was I a little sad that he dies, but, you know. He, he. I think he's the perfect example of kind of taking something that would be seemingly hum- humorous, like the idea of Polka Dot Man as a character and making him just kind of very tragic and sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just taking all of the, the family issues aside, just the image of him, like, with these, like, they, they look like, they're, they're like rainbow tumors mm-hmm. that are growing on, on him. And he's like, I, I, if I don't, like, release these from my body twice a day, I die. Um, it's just a very sad image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. And I think that's, yeah. it, it's sad that he dies, but it's also, it's nice that he, like, he basically is like he's he's shooting down or trying to shoot down Starro and then uh Starro or basically he's like I'm a superhero finally and then Starro smashes him and it's like he that that was his last memory you know like it's like that's probably the yeah. messed up dude this is probably the the highest high he's he's had in his life went out on that peak don't know that he would have uh you know, got that he would have had anywhere else to go from there. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think after that he would have gotten over the death of Milton. I think that would have just haunted right. him for the rest and that's, of his days. And that's another like such a good like again talking about Deadpool two. Uh, Deadpool two <laughs> has the what? What is the guy's name who they're like like Deadpool falls in love with because he's like, oh my gosh, I love him. He's perfect, and then he falls in a wood chipper or something. Uh oh, is it like Ralph or something? Yeah, something like Randy, something along those lines. Um <clears throat> and Yeah, he's just a guy. He doesn't have any powers. Yeah. And for and some th- reason, Deadpool's like, you are like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, and <clears throat> then the way that movie handles it is very like, oh no, I can't believe he died, but it was poor sweet Randy he was so you know, too young for this world. Okay, moving on. Um where this is like, you have uh, Polka Dot Man being very torn up. Basically, Milton is the bus driver who there's a there's a shot of him walking in with the rest of them into the tower, and you're like, yeah. why is he here? And then <laughs> he gets shot later on, uh, and and killed. And Polka Dot Man's like, oh my gosh, they killed Milton, and neither Bloodsport nor uh, Harley Quinn know who that is at first, and they're like, what? And then he's like, the bus driver. And Bloodsport's like, why was he here? Uh, <laughs> and Polka Dot Man's like, he was helping. He was he was trying to be... Like, what yeah. was Milton going to do? And it's such a good... Like, to have him defending Milton against these people who are so cold and, like, ruthless and don't really care all that much. Like, Harley has no idea who he is and, and has completely forgotten his name and thinks that... Bloodsport is Milton after she remembers that conversation later. That's a great, which is great a fun follow guy. up. Um, she's like, we we just had an three hours ago. We had an entire conversation about how your your name is Milton. No, we didn't. <laughs> um, and so I think that's such a better way to handle that. Where it's like, oh, that was genuinely said. This poor guy got caught up on this and got got killed. And like, you you have one of these characters who's really torn up about it, and you show the other two are really callous and don't care. And I think that adds a better element than like if they all were like, oh no. Milton, oh, what sure, sure. Like it adds humor. It adds uh, a, a touch of sadness that like only one of these people care about him. Uh, I, I think that that's a that's a beautiful little fun silly yeah. gag to throw in the middle of that 
uh, crazy Definitely. third act. Much Definitely. like uh, King Shark put, making a plastic bomb out of, or a, a peacemaker plastic bomb doll. Yes, <laughs> that is very good. I uh, before I forget the at the end after they've defeated Starro as he's dying, it, he's he speaks through all these uh, Corto Maltesians mm-hmm. who he's mind controlled, and the new general, um, he looks at I think it's Bloodsport. And as he's dying, Starro says through him, I was happy floating, looking at the stars. And then he's dead. And that complete, then you're just like, oh my God, this was just an animal Mm -hmm. that was floating. And then a bunch of astronauts stole him and poached him and did experiments on him. And all this destruction, all of the, it's such a great way to like close that out of like, oh, even this creature was innocent in a way and that like it's all retaliation what he's doing it's it's i think a very nice way to do it without hitting you over the head his star wars design is incredible it's so good Dude, like it looks great it's- I, I was I, I just want to say they did starro mm-hmm. yeah it's not even this is, just this is supposed movie. to be I, I was gonna say this is supposed to be like the super serious no fun uh zack snyder dceu yeah. and they did star and, and they let james gunn get in there and look what he's done <laughs> look, look, look what he did uh but i remember when we watched it the first time i was like one i'm glad that we've come to a point in superhero movies so i'm like oh okay but i also love that this movie went and then a giant starfish with the goofiest eye is mm-hmm. just like whoa purple and blue it's it's so insane, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. It's so much fun. It makes me question whether whether I do actually want the squid version of Watchmen uh, from sure. in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> because like I'm, now I'm like, man, they they could pull that off. They could make that work. <laughs> Squidfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think oh, man, I don't so think good. any comic book movie now has any excuses about anything you know the the concern of something looking too goofy yeah i really think that is just not an excuse anymore reed richards is just we thought this elastic man kind of thing he's just tall we just made him tall (laughs) and he has these like robo extensions built in that he can attach to his arms because we just it would be too silly if 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 he was stretchy Britain, quit giving 1997 your ideas, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I also, like how just unabashedly comic booky this film is. Um, yeah. Like, Corto Maltese, that is a mm-hmm. that is a long-running kind of DC Comics just location. And, you know, obviously that, that comes from Dark Knight Returns. It's even talked about multiple times in the 1989 Batman film. Mm-hmm. Um like I, I I appreciate that they didn't they didn't feel the need to come up with a brand new location just for the sake of the movie. It's like no, we're gonna yeah. lean into the comic book stuff because it's there. That's what it's there for. And to Britain, to your point about kind of trying to say things with this, uh, the m- much like Metropolis or Gotham, it's a location that was created in the comics to reference real world events or like ideas or, or locations without necessarily right. going wholesale and saying, you know, something happened in New York. Uh, right. It, right. It, it, like that is, I think a really smart way to be like, Oh, here's, here's a way I can do this. That is literally just going to be fully, not metaphor, but fully uh, a stand in, I guess, without me having to actually say, uh, you know, here's this real country that was messed up or anything like that. Like I can just, 
right. use this comic book location for saying what I'm trying to say or, or servicing yeah. this, this story. Um, so, yeah. No, definitely. Um, yeah, no, it, it works. It's very effective. Uh, also, Idris Elba is very mm-hmm. effective in this movie. He is an actor frequently underserved by movies, uh, but this one serves him real good, and he's really good in it. That scene where he's talking about his father and his family history and his daughter and everything with Ratcatcher 2 is very effective. I also think John Cena is genuinely good in the movie. Um, yeah. He's very funny. And like Alex, you were mentioning the the standoff with him and uh, 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 Rick Flagg. He plays all that really well. Like Peacemaker yes. goes from being a joke to being genuinely frightening. Um, you realize like, no, this is a guy who is powerful, but also he's ruthless. And, you know, it, Kinnaman is not a small man. He's actually a very mm-hmm. big man. And it's you just get the the sense that Peacemaker won because he was willing to, to just murder him. Um, it's a really... It, it, it's a strong performance. None of us have yet to watch the Peacemaker TV show as of this recording, but we're all curious about it. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, mostly I know John Cena as an invisible man who uh, people like. And we've, we, I, I would say he is better utilized in this than in F9. <laughs> um, sure. I think it's fair to say. Um, not that it's his fault. But, uh, yeah, I enjoy both him and Alba in this a lot. I think they're genuinely good performances um which is nice considering how underserved will smith one of the most charismatic people of all time is used in the first one right yeah it'll be really interesting to see because i know this movie didn't do very well at the box office and obviously there's multiple factors kind of contributing to that um one of the main ones i think is the name of the movie (laughs) um but it would be interesting to see kind of where they go from here if they do more sequels or, or you know, whatever, however they would they want to handle this. Um, because, you know, Idris Elba finally has like a genre film where he's front and center. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, Britain, definitely to your point, like he has been underserved, like he gets next to nothing to do in Prometheus and he gets next to nothing to do in all three Thor films. Um, it's oh, just yeah. really cool. It's cool that he finally has something where it's like, no, he is an actor. Let him mm-hmm. act. And then it would be a shame if this was the only um, kind yeah. of appearance from him. Sure. The, there. So in the third act, there is a scene where. So I should say first, uh, Tyler Bates did not come back for this. Not I shouldn't say come back because he hadn't done a previous movie in the series. But uh, Tyler Bates is like James Gunn's bro for composing uh oh. the first two guardians movies um and other things uh i don't know if he's doing guardians 3 you should check on that but um this movie i think originally it was reported that it would be tyler bates but it was actually john murphy who is a guy he did the kick-ass score uh hmm. and hasn't done like anything movie wise since then i uh, i'm not sure if that's completely true he I was henry jack he, he was part of I should say yes. He's he's not. He was a a co associate of whoever made that score. Uh, okay, because I think that was primarily Henry Jackman. What is the, he does all of Matthew Vaughn's films? If you look the Wikipedia page for Kickass, lists his name first under music by, and then Henry Jackman, and also two other guys. So I don't know. Fascinating. I don't know. But either way, he he doesn't do a lot of movies. Like this is the first movie he's done in like a decade. I think. Um, He's done, I think, like, TV shows and, like, actual music, like, discography and stuff, producing. But 
Um, anyway, there's a scene where Ratcatcher 2 uh, calls all of the rats uh, out of Corto, Mal- Corto Maltese and is like, this isn't your city, it's their city. Uh, and uh, she comforts Bloodsport, who's like kind of getting over his fear of rats, which has like other psychological implications for him. And uh, Harley Quinn uh, dives into Starro with her spear. And there's the flashback to Taika Waititi saying, you know, if, if rats uh, can, can still like survive and thrive and, and be together, then the, like we, I've, what is the exact quote? Does anybody remember? Yeah, it's like if if rats have a purpose, then we all do. Yes, 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 yes. Something like that. Uh, which is beautiful. Um, as they're like sitting on top of, I, I is it Paris that they're supposed to be in? Um, I think so. Or uh, Portugal. They're somewhere in Portugal. Portugal. That makes more sense. Yes. Uh, and they're they're like kind of over the standing over the city, and it's a really beautiful shot. Uh, and through all this, there's this really driving, triumphant. Uh, score from john murphy this this track that's like repeating and rising and like this this really beautiful thing uh leading into star falling and saying like i i was happy looking at the stars um all of those elements uh together it's it's a perfect scene it it's 100 percent perfect i it gives me chills i love it so much i think it's an incredible like i did not expect to be feeling that at the end of the Suicide Squad, especially when the movie starts with such a ridiculous over the top. Again, another scene that I think is great, but a completely different like tonal yeah. place coming to this place of like, this is a really triumphant, beautiful moment where we, we have like five characters of varying like thematic layers and like silliness. And like some of them are like Harley Quinn is, is totally just funny. And like, it's, it's really fun. It's like, Oh my gosh, she's gets to use the spear. Um, versus like Ratcatcher is too is like a genuinely good person. It seems like who who really uh, has like a, a a love for the these these unwanted creatures. Um, I don't know. It, I think I think all of that right there, like that like five ten minute sequence, is so 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 good. Uh, and I don't yeah, know totally. where it came from. Yeah, no, I, I, I would be. I haven't rewatched either of the Guardians movies in a minute. I, I, I would like to. I every now and again, I think to myself, oh, I ought to go back and rewatch some of these MCU movies, especially some of the ones that I, I missed when we were on the podcast, just to go back and revisit them. And then I, those are always the ones that I think about. Oh, maybe I should do the Guardians ones, mm-hmm. and I still won't, but I will one day because I liked them, and I bet I'd like them again. And I, I like how, I like, I like the soundtrack very much in this movie. We joked about not recognizing him, but like, I like that because all the songs work really well. Yeah. I really like that over the opening credits, it's, I don't know the name of the song. It's probably the people who died, but that's a, a refrain in the chorus that I like mm-hmm. a lot. Um, And that it just, it's effective. And like, they just consistently, I don't know, Gunnis is one of those directors who's like, I, I know exactly the vibe I'm going for. And I guess he has a wealth of musical yeah. knowledge that you can just pull like, this is the song I'm it, putting in here and using it's, And you it's can, really interesting. You, you do get to see what he can do with that when he's not restricted to like, I'm, I'm choosing from this very specific time period. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right, to, right. To give you the nostalgic retro vibes. It's, it's like right. whatever fits that scene is the music I'm going to put into that scene. Yeah. And it works both as a, we know James Gunn is going to go to the soundtracks as a guardians, but also 
the previous movie is so maligned for having such an on the nose yes. distracting soundtrack that here it's like we're just we're just gonna do it and we're gonna do it well yeah. uh remember yeah, how we ripped off this guy's style the first time around mm-hmm. let's just let him do mm-hmm. it pretty much yeah uh, how did you guys feel about the antagonists and specifically the uh, kind of Corto Maltese leadership um, and uh, Peter Capaldi's character? I thought that was an area where the film was lacking a bit. A lot of them seemed very generic, and I couldn't make up my mind about whether or not that was kind of the point. For as far as Corto Maltese goes, I was fine with it because I think that the proxy element of it and the commentary element was was clear enough that I didn't need those characters to be richer than they were. It would have been great if they had been, but it's like, no, I totally get who they are. I totally get what we're doing here. I did want a little more of Capaldi because I never really got like what his powers were because he has these like diodes and everything sticking out of his head. And it wasn't yeah. until he dies that I went, oh, he never like used those if that's something he can use. Like, I don't... I think he's just a thinker. I think he just... Yeah. He's just a smart And boy. it's also... It's kind of funny if there's just a guy walking around with diodes sticking out of his head and a, wearing a tracksuit, and we just never really yeah. address it. That I'm fine I, with. So I I do want to imagine because, like I said, it is weird how in this universe Starro exists. Like I'm just imagining in the middle of all the destruction in Man of Steel, Peter Capaldi is just like <laughs> walking down the street, you know, just in the background of one shot. Um, yeah, um, I really like yeah. Peter Capaldi in this. I think he serves the role effectively, especially because he comes on pretty late. Um, he's not like built up as a, a huge, like menacing figure. It's just like, oh, this is the guy who's kind of behind the stuff that's going to lead us to Starro. And he uh, is is just like this horrible person who uh, has like kind of creates a connection between the um, US government and like sets all that up in a way so that we have our final conflict really well um i love the fact that when starro grabs him at the end he's like i've decided i can change uh yeah i'm I'm (laughs) I'm going to to work on myself (laughs) yes and then he gets ripped in half and bloodied in on a window which is uh gory and fun uh yeah i think i think he's fun i i like him a lot um i mean i think just as an actor he's great and uh i think he kind of continues the uh breakneck wild pace of the movie uh by just popping in and being like hey i'm this wacky character and here's all this like plot stuff that i'm gonna throw at you real quick and it's gonna be fun because i'm peter capaldi and then i'm gonna die (laughs) and then we're gonna move on uh like i think i guess when i think of the antagonist i really think of starro and i think of capaldi as kind of a, a setup yeah uh and then i don't i mean i i think with the corto maltese people i i would kind of tend to agree it's like I don't I get why they're there again I go back to the the scene with the freedom fighters which is like my one like frustration because I do think that they need to flesh out that stuff a little more yeah uh, if they're gonna do something like that um I almost wish it was just they went in they murdered a bunch of guys and they got Rick Flag out and he was also chained up with uh I forget her name oh yeah Alice Braga yes well I forget her name in the movie Um, oh i can't but um i wish there was a little more to that i think that with the the military side of things it's like yeah i see i see why they're there i I get what they're kind of standing in for that i've i don't 
really need a ton more of them. And we get the fun thing of the the random general who Harley Quinn kills, which is good. It would have been great if when... It would have been great if when the squad showed up to get Rick Flag, Alice Braga just started gesturing at them being like, I know you've hung out with some weird people, but now you've got these new mutants you're with. (laughs) Because she was in that movie. Alex, what were you going to say? She, she was in that movie. I, I, I was I was thinking back to like, okay, Alice Braga is also somebody that's been kind of a victim of, of not having great yeah. roles in genre movies that we've done. Because I was thinking back to, I think she's actually one of the better parts of Predators. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't done this movie, but she's in I Am Legend briefly. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't feel like she's had a whole lot of great roles. And oh my God, she's in New Mutants. And she also has a not great role in that. <laughs> I don't know what you're But anyways. Playing. Uh, <laughs> see, there, there are two, there are two bears or whatever that is. <laughs> also, Alex, we're talking about movies. <laughs> I don't know that New Mutants. New Mutants is an experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's a theme. New, it's a theme. New park Mutants ride. is a theme uh, park ride, but I never want to get <laughs> off. So that, that's what they're turning that uh Song of the South ride into a Disney World as a New Mutants. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so good. Wow, we're uh, on a little you r- can lazy reuse river. The bears. And- It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, Tyler, I was just surprised that you didn't say your worst thing was that the actor who plays the main Corto Maltese general isn't, is he's the general from Quantum of Solace. Is he? Really? Is I'm he? surprised that you didn't go, Amazing. that's the weak spot of the movie. Fine. I know him from <laughs> The Strain. There you go. Which is also a thing that had weird tendrils in it. Sure. Maybe that's how he chooses his parts. Tendrils? Does it have weird tendrils? I'm in. Quantum of Solace, <laughs> this thing's gotta have some tendrils. I don't need to look at the script. <laughs> um, The last thing I wanted to touch on was just the title of the movie, and I know we've poked fun at that a little bit. What do we feel like the, the title should have been something else? I mean, ideally, it would have just been Suicide Squad, and this would right. have been the first movie anyway. But I, I Suicide think Squad, Kill saying- the Justice League. Suicide Squad right. and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. Because <laughs> uh, that does actually happen. In that's this true. And the fin- the the that? next the second yeah. Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley. <laughs> I do like that joke where they're like, "We're gonna come save you." Like, "You're gonna save me." I can go back in, mm-hmm. and you can still get me. And they're like, "No, no, no, we're fine, Harley." I um, did really like that moment. I thought that was wonderful acting from her. <laughs> yeah. Because when I liked it, it didn't become this poorly written pandering like i didn't need to be saved i saved myself mm-hmm. not that that's a call, bad thing to well, teach young women it's I, just call the she called the the uh <laughs> she called the team the suicide women the women are all getting killed around here more like the shiaside squad what <laughs> that's good but that that's good which i'm not i am just for the just for, to, for clarity <laughs> i am not mocking female empowerment i am mocking when men write those lines badly, sure. such as that and uh, the thing in uh, Snyder Cut where Gagadot says, I belong to no one. Sure. Um, but anyway. But, but no, uh, I... I do agree. I really like that. Because we've already seen her free herself. Like, we don't need... Like, yeah, we yeah, know how capable much. she is at, like, being being a crazy fighter who can kill a whole bunch of dudes. Um, and I like that she's just genuinely, like, very touched... She's like, oh my goodness! Yeah, y'all were gonna save me. Uh, it's it's sweet, and it and it helps with Rick Flag's character because it's mm-hmm. like, oh, he actually does care about these people. 
It's yeah. weird. And I like that they kind of, they have this thing about how she and Rick Flagg are friends, but it, it doesn't feel like an unbelievable extension from the first movie. Because yeah. it doesn't feel like they're trying to make us, they're trying to retcon anything. It's like, no, nah, they went through this thing. They recognize each other. Eh, they're pals, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It adds yeah. to the camaraderie. It's all good. No, I think the title, I mean, I don't know. I've Weirdly, I do think this was the best they could have done because I, having to create a, like another sub Suicide Squad, you know, resurrection yeah. or something. I don't know. Suicide Squad and the Rise of Starro. Maybe. Yeah. Just call it Starro. Yeah, Starro feet the Suicide or Squad. Or call it Ratcatcher 2. <laughs> I do kind of like Suicide Squad versus Starro the Conqueror. Sure. Yeah, I kind of like I I mean, I know the movie is kind of like it. It has that card up its sleeve. It's like we're not going to reveal what the, the actual mm-hmm. main threat is until a good ways in. But I kind of just wish it was like, nope, this is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not sure. There's a better. Like, unless you just called it Suicide Squad 2 and said like, yep. Yeah. It's a thing. This is this is sort of building on that. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, I think that's like the like you either have to own it or like this is very clearly we're trying to ignore this movie that came out literally five years ago, uh, and is still like people are going to remember it. So I I almost feel like maybe maybe the, you can make the argument that the op, the better option would have been steering into it and being like, yep, this is the follow up to that, but it's better. <laughs> you should watch it. Uh, so. Suicide Squad Bandcamp. Yeah. Suicide Squad road trip. Suicide Squad senior year. <laughs> Good. Or Suicide, you do, Suicide Squad procession of angels. Or you come full circle on my Deadpool 2, on doing Deadpool 2 better and call it the untitled Suicide Squad sequel. Uh, <laughs> that's that's my other. Untitled James Gunn project. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because, like, James Gunn, the suicide, Gunn's the Suicide Squad would be like, no. Yeah, no, you don't. That. Yeah. Stop, I stop. do kind of Su- think if this movie was called Suicide Squad Director's Cut, <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be pretty good. Suicide Squad, based on the comic, uh, uh, ba- based on the other cut mm-hmm. by Ayer. I was going to say, call it. I was going to say, based on the horrible fan fiction by David Ayer. <laughs> call it the Ayer, or... David Ayer is the Suicide Squad, uh, and then just have it be James Gunn's movie, <laughs> and see and see what people show up. Ooh, I got it! I got it! I got it! I got it. Suicide Snyder Squad. Mm-hmm. Go on. <laughs> Need <more>. two, <laughs> two. The, All right. The Suicide Snyder Squad Snyder's cut. Suicide? No, no, no. Suicide Snyder. Suicide Snyder <laughs> Squad colon Zach's cut. Sure. Zach's movie. Zach, just call it Zach's movie. Can his movie from now on be Zach's whatever? Mm-hmm. Zach's Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Zach's Gu- Guardians of Gahul 2, 3, and 4. Zach's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciate Justice your optimism two, for Zach's back. Guardians of Gahul sequels. We're, uh, Zach's. Follow my Kickstarter. <laughs> Let's start a Kickstarter. For Guardians of, Gal- or Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Here come the Zackwolves. <laughs> Here come the Zackwolves. Yeah, I'm, hey, ha- 
I bet net. I'm gonna look it up. I bet Netflix has made a little little series. I don't think so. Gah. They don't want to touch it. They're like, we. Why would we do it if we can't bring back the master? Yeah, that's true. That's true. We're not doing it without Zach. Mm-hmm. Not doing it without Zach. That's why they don't do Army of the Dead. It was like it's like a they're getting him. See, we're willing to work with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, you guys just want me to do the Guardians of Gahul. And I've got other ideas, man. I've got like there, there are, you know, like I, I can, I can be more creative than that. I want to, I have passion projects that I want to do. And they're like, okay, but he knock out a few of those. You got to come back to Guardians of Kahul. That's, that's, that's what this is all about. That's where the money's at. So it looks like, it looks like, no, there's not a TV series. I will say uh, a post from Reddit popped up here that said, it would make a fantastic TV 14 series. Do you agree? Also, the plot is weirdly relevant to today. <laughs> you know, because of all those we've, owls going to war in our forests. We've officially exhausted that as a thing people can say about anything. Yeah. Here's one. Six weird things from Guardians of Gahul. I hope it's just owls. <laughs> Look at this also, owl, you know how, You know how when people... Um, when you Google something to have like different questions you can look mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that are kind of related. Will there be a sequel to guardians of Gahul? How many guardians of Gahul are there? What is a moon blinked owl and mm-hmm. is Clud alive? <laughs> we're, we're going to watch this. We're not far. We're going to watch this movie this year. I, I don't think you understand that. My plan is going to watch it sometime this we're, year. We're James going to watch it sometime this year. I don't think you understand that. My plan is to make us make sure that we do 300 for a 300 episode. Like I've, I've joked about this. Yeah. It's happening. It's yeah. not like, that's what we're doing. And that is 25 episodes away, give or take. So like, I'm not a, I'm not a fence in your way. I'm a gate in the middle Good. saying, come Good. on in. So we're going to also, we, when we do, we are going to have to talk about moon blinking mm-hmm. because and this Clud? sounds messed up. Uh, Soren. I remember Soren. Sure. Yeah, man. Catherine Lasky, get on the podcast. Oh my goodness, though. Like, <laughs> of the people who I've wanted to actually reach out to, like, find social media of. I mean, Benioff and Weiss are one thing. Like, yes, I would like them on the podcast, but I also yes. know that they are very smartly not going to ever be on social media again. Uh, yeah. Catherine Lasky, though, like, I do yeah. want to reach out to her publicist. Be like,. <laughs> Could you come on our movie podcast to talk about Guards of Ghoul? Because I can't assume, I can't imagine you like that ad- adaptation yeah. of your work. But it was eleven years ago, and I want to know what the phone calls of Zach were like. The NDAs are over now, right? Gotta be. Also, if we ever got Benioff and Weiss, can we can we tell them our podcast is called the Three Body Problem? Because <laughs> the thing is, you could look at a picture of us and say that. <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh yeah okay sure <laughs> this is a trap we're gonna talk about guardians of cool <laughs> no and then weiss is like all right <laughs> i mean i watched it recently sure they're both like that's our favorite movie yeah we watch it every <laughs> on the first day of spring every year mm-hmm. we watch mm-hmm. guardians of cool uh All right, should we rate this thing? I give it an A plus. Sure. Going there bold. it is. Going big. 
I love Alex, it. Alex, what are you doing? Um, I am going to go B plus, I think. Um, and I think most of that comes down to there's something about James Gunn's sensibilities, and I don't know if that's just how he shoots his movies, um, or just like the way he writes his films and particularly the humor. Um, but it, it, I wasn't quite at loving it. There's a lot of stuff that I really, really liked and a lot of thematic elements written to, to kind of your best thing that I really, really liked. And I feel like similar to the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, this feels like a very, very good start. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I hope he gets the opportunity to make more. I don't yep. know if that will happen. And obviously, you know, I, I do want to watch the Peacemaker show because that might be the best I ever get. But I, this is a very good start, and this is what the first Suicide Squad should have been. It is better in every way. So, B plus. I'm also gonna go B plus, and I can't quantify why exactly. It just that's what feels the most right to me. Um, that may almost be just a, a measure of enthusiasm as opposed to like a quantitative assessment. Um, but yeah, it's great. I really like it a lot. Um, I definitely recommend it to people who like watching movies. I think I, I felt very high on it after watching it the first time when it was on the original like HBO Max run. Um, yeah. And I was curious if that was going to hold. And I definitely think it does. For me, it's I think it's like I was thinking about this before I was telling talking to you all last night. Uh, I think after evaluation, I am going to. Th- this might be like my in my top five. It would be number five, but in my top five favorite superhero movies. Uh, I just think it's brilliant. I. I mentioned that I am a huge fan of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and you can go listen to our podcast if you want to learn more about that. Um, but I think there are big problems with pieces of that that hold me back from being like, this is totally perfect for me. Um, and I really am... Because like, I think the first Guardians is is great, but also marred by a lot of uh, structural stuff and like is not... like I don't think James Gunn was allowed to be as James Gunn, as he has been on volume two and on this movie. Uh, but I am now starting to wonder if Guardians of the Galaxy volume three is going to be like a complete mind blowing experience for me because you, you got him coming back after getting this out of a system and it's going to have Adam Warlock uh, played by Eustace. So like what, what more could I ask for? <laughs> um, I'm very ready for it and it's too far away. Yeah. But we'll get there one day. Yeah. Um speaking of far away, I don't know. Uh recommendations time is now. I teased last week that I saw a movie in theaters that I would recommend this week, and I'm gonna do that. And I'm gonna recommend Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. This is a movie you've probably seen talked about on film Twitter or whatever. Um Paul Thomas Anderson's newest movie. Um, it is kind of a, it's kind of a hangout movie. It's basically about these two young souls in LA, 15 year old played by Cooper Hoffman, son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, the great, and a 25 year old Alana Kane played by Alana Hyam from one of my favorite bands, Hyam. And, uh, it's about them becoming friends. They live in, uh, oh gosh, where is it? Somewhere in the Valley in uh the 70s whatever year live and let die came out because they run past a movie marquee for it at one point um when i saw that i was like 
Yeah, I, I literally thought of you when I saw it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I was I was gonna say I guess this is the year of not just or last year. It, is this technically a 2021 release? I it came know. out in 21. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's funny between that and um, the Edgar Wright film. Oh, last night. Last in night in Soho. Yeah, and that that has a big marquee for Thunderball. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um. I yeah, Licorice Pizza. It's kind of a hangout movie. The, the biggest problem with it is that the central relationship brushes up against being a little iffy because of the ten year age difference. It's the kind of thing where I couldn't, I can't really blame anybody for having a problem with it. But I also feel like the movie kind of skirts any real issue with. It. I don't know. By the end, I was a little iffy on it. it. It was more that I kept asking like, movie. I don't know how you feel about it, so therefore I don't know how I feel about it. Um. But ultimately, it's fine. Really, what it is is it's just so charming. There are, especially in the like first half of this movie, it is so fun and breezy and charming and funny, and both performances are great. Like Alana is just magic. I'm a huge fan of of the band Hyam. So seeing her and then seeing Danielle and Esty, her actual sisters, play her sisters of this made me giggle every single scene they were in. And her real parents play her parents. Like all of that's great. There's all these little cameos from like Sean Penn and Bradley Cooper and um, Christine Ebersole, uh, Harriet Harris. And then, of course, there, there is a one – if you happen to be looking at the right side of the screen and hear one line, you will see there is another cameo in this movie that it made me really happy. Um, it's just really fun. I, I, I think a lot will be made of the age difference, probably more than should be, or at least it'll be – people will – see that and then decide a bunch of things about the movie that aren't necessarily true. Um, I think it's the kind of thing that merits discussion, not uh, just not rejection. Um, the, it really, it's one of those movies where it's hard to like quantify it aside from just repeating adjectives over and over again, because that's kind of what the, you just kind of sit in this world with these characters as they go on different adventures and start different ventures. And Alana gets swept up into these different, schemes at one point she's working for a councilman played by benny softy of the softy mm. brothers um it just kind of happens bradley cooper is hilarious as a despicable character um yeah it's just a charming fun sun-drenched california good time uh, also with a really good soundtrack um so i definitely recommend it uh and it is called licorice pizza i don't know why Tyler, do you have the, anything? Oh, 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 it, mm, bit. I, I haven't seen the movie, but I, I do have kind of a, an interpretation based on all the information you supplied. Is the idea that licorice and pizza are two things that should not go together, and that speaks to the relationship? Alex, I think you just figured out and also fixed my impression of the movie. Is Is that it? I don't know. That might be it. I, genuinely speaking, that might be it. I don't... I feel like I've good. also heard people mention it that way but i don't know if no oh that makes so much sense well egg on my face that's awesome (laughs) good job mystery bunch yeah um (laughs) yeah no i like that i like that read are are you are you just sad that bradley cooper didn't go on some long monologue about how you know you guys are like licorice pizza (laughs) (laughs) they do not work well together what are you two? Some kind of licorice pizza? <laughs> there is a there is a Twitter edit going around somewhere. Uh, I don't know if either of you have seen this of uh, 
somebody jokingly saying the that when I forget who it is. It's it's Daniel Day Lewis from There Will Be Blood and um mm. somebody else from one of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. Uh that you hear you see an audience screaming like a bootleg theater recording and you you hear uh lines from these two characters uh like coming through the the screen and that the audience is like freaking out like it's the end of Endgame. Uh, as like saying like oh my gosh it's, it was so crazy when the Paul Thomas Anderson multiverse came together at the end of the speech it's, it's very good oh that's awesome um, but yeah I uh, I do have I should probably wait until this is until I've finished watching this before I give a recommendation but I have started the uh, Station Eleven miniseries on HBO Ooh. watched four episodes three or four episodes um and so far, I think it's a fantastic adaptation. Uh, I recommended the Yay. book a while back. Uh, and so you heard it here first. And um, it's th- there are, there's stuff that is like literally just slots right into exactly how I pictured things in the book, but like brings them to life in a really beautiful way. Um, and there's stuff that are, that is pretty big changes that I think are made to kind of make it more watchable and make it more t- televisual. Um I think it's doing a great job so far. Maybe I'll have different opinions by the end, but I don't think I will. The, the cast is great. Mackenzie Davis is great. Um, it's 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 been uh, really enjoyable so far, and I think it does. I think it's pretty bold in the way that it because the book is very much about jumping between timelines and jumping between different time periods and like following different points at each character's life. Uh, and the, the the show was pretty bold, I think, in the way that it also does exactly that same thing. It's just like, yep, we're going to tackle it this way. Uh, so I've been impressed by that and how much it's willing to just dive into that. And I think it it feels a little bit jarring at first, but the, the more you get into it, the more it really, really sings. So uh, we'll, we'll probably give an update on that on next week's episode. But so far, so good with that. That's awesome. I... I just jump in i recently borrowed tyler's copy of the book which i think is the right way to read that book is to borrow a friend's copy of it um and it's a like that is one of my favorite books like Mm -hmm. it is stunning and it hit me in such a profound way that i was really excited to watch the miniseries and i was like you have to wait because you are gonna come you're gonna start this thing with the book so thickly in your mind um but obviously i'm a big mckenzie davis fan so i'm sure that i'll enjoy her so yeah that's good to hear i'm excited to watch it soon all right, Alex, what you got? Uh, I watched another block of varied films, so I'll, I'll do my best to kind of run through these real quick again. I also uh, delved into uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. I watched Punch Drunk Love with Adam hey. Sandler. He's good. Very, now. very weird movie. Yeah. Um, it's weird because all of these movies felt... Tyler, to, to that joke we were making earlier, all of these are very relevant today. <laughs> <laughs> but this one in particular is speaking to kind of like kind of the feeling of, you know, isolation and introvertedness that kind of comes particularly with, you know, all, all the, the quarantine and, and kind of the weird last couple of years that everyone has had. Um, this movie had kind of weird. I, I was I was getting weird connections to, to that. Um, but Adam Sandler's great. Um, it's very, very unconventional and it kind of just, it's very free flowing and just kind of does whatever it wants. Um, it's also 90 minutes. So I appreciated that. Um, 
I don't know if I quite loved it, and I don't even know if I quite understood it, but I enjoyed it. And it was also very uncomfortable. Because <laughs> Adam Sandler's character is a very, very extremely introverted, weird character. So, yeah. he also punches things a lot, and it's funny and sad. Um, then I watched Die Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> Which... Sure is the third film in the Die Hard series, which I hope we will do at some point. Um, I like this one quite a bit. This is probably my favorite of the sequels. It's the one with Samuel L. Jackson and Jeremy Irons, and they're both fantastic in it. And I appreciate, there's just like a level of escalation and a sense of danger that's present in the movie that I feel like a lot of action movies just don't have. Um, And it's one of those things where, you know, John McClane's constantly getting shot at and bruised and beaten up and bloodied. And like, I, I don't know, there's there's a certain weight that gets added by all that, which, you know, I've talked about that with other action movies we've reviewed, um, how much I appreciate when that that kind of gets introduced. Um, but yeah, definitely enjoyable. It's got kind of a weak ending because they reshot it. Um, but I don't think either ending they they had was particularly strong. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a very, very enjoyable watch. Um, then I watched... Both 28 Days Later and 28 Weeks Later. Um, I'm just jumping all over the emotional spectrum right now. Um, I I appreciate how very different those movies are. And of course, they have different directors. Um, but they still very much feel like they're in the same universe. Um, and I, I, I think ultimately I liked 28 Weeks Later more. But I think 28 Days Later is probably the stronger film. And I think tw- 28 Weeks Later, and it's, uh, it's kind of annoying continuing to say these names. Uh, weeks, um, I enjoyed mostly because of the cast. Uh, Rose Byrne yeah. and Jeremy Renner are in it. And Idris Elba also is in it for like a couple of scenes. Um, and uh, Robert Car- Carlyle from uh, our favorite The World Is Not Enough. Um, he's actually quite good in it as well. Uh yeah, they're just very, very depressing horror movies with fast-moving zombies, and if you like that kind of thing, you're probably going to enjoy it. So, uh, And then to round it all off, I watched The Last Duel, and to please our, our elder uh, Ridley Scott, I had my phone out the whole time. <laughs> um, I, I, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Um, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. It's it's very kind of bloody and violent as per a historical epic from Ridley Scott. But also, if you're very sensitive to kind of the subject of sexual assault and that being portrayed on the screen, um, definitely stay away or, you know, look up um, a summary of what happens or, you know, something to that effect. Uh, the cast is all great. I really like how the film is structured because it's all about whether or not at this, you know, this point in time in history, they believe a certain point of view. Um, so the film is structured by showing us kind of the the story told from three different perspectives. And each one tells us very different things about, number one, who says what, who is responsible for what, who comes off in a more positive or negative way. Um, and it, it's very... I, I think that's just a very compelling way that the film is structured and it doesn't get old that way. So in a particular scene, one character might come off as very heroic and they're they're taking charge, they're being proactive. And if from another person's point of view, that person is just like a coward and they don't 
you know, they're they're not the ones who were responsible for for a good thing happening or a bad thing happening or you know whatever it might be. Um, I think the screenplay is very well well done. I did have some problems with the uh, use of accents or lack thereof. Um, and, and kind of the language problems that I've talked about before. It's all set in France. Nobody's used, I think one person uses a French accent. Um, they're speaking English the whole time, except for a couple times where they decide to speak Latin or German. Um, I found all that very distracting, and that's just a thing that I have with a lot of movies that, that do that. So, uh, But yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I think everyone else, you know, everyone kind of watched the trailer, and of course it bombed horribly. Everyone watched the trailer and just went, Oh, that's, that looks very boring. And it wasn't. So. Yeah, the impression I've gotten is that people kind of went, oh, it's like Gladiator, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. Alex, you haven't seen Eternals yet, right? Correct. I I'll have be not. curious how you feel. I was, as you were telling us about the last duel beforehand, I was trying to remember why I, why language was on my mind. And I'll be curious how you feel about Eternals handling of that. Because Ooh. it takes... Maybe a similar approach, but I think it does smart things. I don't know. We'll see. Well, it's it's funny because, you know, some movies do attempt to kind of explain why they aren't speaking whatever language they would be speaking. Um, like I'm thinking of the Tom Cruise movie Valkyrie as an example where it starts off as I think it's Tom Cruise is narrating like his characters like writing letters um, and he's speaking German. And it slowly morphs into him speaking English. And I think the the actual written letters transform from German mm. to English. So it's supposed to be like a natural lead-in for the audience to go, okay, I understand why why we're proceeding with everyone speaking English in this movie. Um, I You gotta do something like that. I, I can't... <laughs> for some reason, it, it just annoys me that, that you have people just... You, you have directors that just don't do that. Um, and I'm not, I'm not gonna let you get past with that but everyone's good in it despite their goofy haircuts looking at you ben affleck their goofy haircuts you need to go to the the way back to uh the barber (laughs) do you think when matt and ben were writing that screenplay they they put in a lot of notes about their hairstyles yeah i think they were then i mean that's john mark who looks awesome i think they were i mean that's half half the descriptions in the screenplay. Yeah. They were pulling a goof on Ridley Scott. <laughs> and we'll only ban this if you give us very crazy hairstyles. <laughs> um, you know where you cannot find crazy hairstyles is uh, the Here Come the Sequels website at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HTTSequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, places, people, here come the sequels is a people. It's not a. Place. We really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we're going on tour. We're going to be uh, opening for Kings of Leon. <laughs> so <laughs> check us out. Imagine going to Kings of Leon. Do they even? First of all, I challenge the premise. Do Kings of Leon do concerts anymore? Are they? Do they? Exist? I don't know. Are they still a band? But I, but I really like the idea of people going to Kings Leon ready to hear their great music. And then the opening act comes out. That's what I- <laughs> There's a bunch of like instruments set up, but then also a table and three of us sit down. Oh, are they going to like, what is this? Welcome to here come the sequels. And then we like start talking we, we about do, like Venom 2. We do a full hour and a half podcast in front of these yeah, people. Yeah, full on. No music. We just do the show unironically. The lights like, come up. It's, it's 
is. No, it's just yeah. like plain. I mean, it's like a convention. One of us, one of us has to start the podcast by going, "This sequel's on fire." Am I right? <laughs> and then Kings of Leon comes out and does all their music, and no one ever addresses the <laughs> fact that before this, the <laughs> three boys sat down to talk about Venom. <laughs> we should do it. Um, uh, love it. Oh God, that moment when you realize one week down, you're further down the path to reviewing Venom, let there be carnage. <laughs> yep. Only getting closer. Yeah, what's what's next on our, our catch up? Is it is it Shang-Chi? It is Shang-Chi so. and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So everybody, that's on Disney Plus. You can go out there and do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll be talking about it next week. It'll be a good time. Talking to movies that do better with language stuff. Correct. Uh, I'm talking in English, and I've been Tyler. <laughs> I I kind of talk English sometimes. <laughs> I've been Alex. Et je parle français. Uh, J'étudie pour trois ans dans l'école. <laughs> et... Uh, Je me forget the rest. But j'étais... What, what were you saying all that time? I said I I'm spe- I speak French. I studied it for three years in school, and I forget the rest of... I don't know how to say the rest of it. I was... Spe- that was French. Right, it was like probably... The, the outro. I thought you were saying... I thought you were working on finishing the outro in French. But Tyler, oh, you can cu- Tyler, two? you can cut this off at any time. <laughs> You're having a bonne nuit. Bonne nuit, my friends. Bonne nuit to you all. I'm not making fun of France. They're a legitimate country. That's condescending. Stop the podcast. <laughs>